0: the information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy.
1: Hello, you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy.
0: And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett, clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch.
1: Oh, I love it. Oh my goodness. This is so exciting for me I can't believe we're actually going to be doing a podcast dedicated to the complete Harry Potter series
0: I am so excited. Harry Potter is my number one fandom in the world And I am so excited and thrilled that we're going to be doing this podcast
1: like literally my mind is Blowing up with excitement (laughs) right now and I wish our listeners could see inside my mind. You know what I mean? Wait Through the magic of audio manipulation, they can. Here's what's going on inside my mind right now
0: Harry Potter! Harry Potter!
1: Harry Potter!
0: Harry Potter! Harry Potter! Harry Potter! Potter!
1: Boy, maybe I shouldn't uh, let myself be so vulnerable there and let people know about what's inside my mind, but we're all friends here, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> so again, thank you so much for tuning in and welcome to our magical podcast. This is going to be a very nostalgic adventure for us and hopefully for you as well. So please just prepare yourself to smile and believe in the magic of Harry Potter. In this podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to break down all the chapters of each book in the Harry Potter series. Although we will not be doing chapter summaries, there will be plenty of spoilers for you so those who have not read this series or watched the films, be warned. So, here we go. I am actually literally getting chills right now. Chapter 1, The Boy Who Lived. Wow chills. This is
0: where it all began.
1: (laughs) With the title of the first chapter, J.K. Rowling plants a dark seed right at the beginning and establishes a tragic origin story. What is the psychology behind origin stories and how can we use them to understand our own struggles?
0: Origin stories are just the beginning of our heroic journey. They don't define us. And for Harry, for example, he was just barely over one years old when both of his parents were killed by Dark Wizard and we know that although he is someone who experienced this horrific loss and because of some kind of unknown magic, we don't know what's going on in this chapter, but somehow Lord Voldemort was stopped and baby Harry survived and um, we know from the series that Although Harry was, of course, affected by what happened to him, it does not define the person that he is. Our origin stories are only the beginning and it's up to us to figure out where we go next and how we choose to develop, grow and proceed from our origin. In this very first chapter, we don't yet know what happens to baby Harry, what will happen to him in the future. We know that as a baby, he was celebrated worldwide and that people everywhere in quiet whispers were raising toasts to Harry Potter, the boy who lived, who was unfortunately sent off to live with his really abusive relatives, really prejudiced aunt and uncle.
1: Very oppressive, too.
0: Very oppressive. The kind of people that were embarrassed of their family members, and we learn a bit about uh, Uncle Vernon, who seems to be really rude, actually, toward other people and seems to be very judgmental of others. And Aunt Petunia, who seems to be very judgmental of her sister. We don't yet know why, but in this chapter, we see how they're not very good people. And Professor McGonagall, who in the shape of a cat has been observing them all day long, warns Dumbledore that they're certainly the worst kind of muggles and possibly not the best home for Harry, to which Dumbledore replies, well, they're the only family he has left. Albus, do you really think it's safe, leaving him with these
1: people? I've watched them all day. They're the worst sort of muggles imaginable. They really are. The only family he has. This boy will be famous. There won't be a child in our world who doesn't know his name.
0: Exactly. He's far better off growing up away from all of that. We don't yet know at this point why Harry was sent to live with his relatives instead of being sent to live with his godfather, Sirius Black. And at this point in the series, we don't actually know that Harry has a godfather. I think that for most individuals who experience some kind of a tragic origin, sometimes they might carry it with them as if this defines who they are. But the truth is, our origin stories might sometimes even allow us to become much more resilient. There's a lot of research pointing to the fact that when we survive something really painful, we might actually develop what's called post-traumatic growth, which means that we might find meaning in our trauma. From this first chapter, we still have yet to see what happens to baby Harry when he grows up, having lost both of his parents so tragically.
1: You were mentioning the Dursleys, and to me, J.K. Rowling masterfully creates this tension in this chapter with the introduction of them. I mean, as you were describing, they're very uptight, prejudiced, they're very overcritical. So what do you think is the true function of the Dursleys in the Harry Potter series?
0: I think the Dursleys represent people who are very narrow-minded Um, people who as you mentioned oppressive and probably people who are unwilling to accept others for the magic that they might have and I don't just mean little magic like in the series I mean other types of magic such as emotions or maybe some kind of other differences you know whether an individual might be different from the societally defined norm, whether it's their sexual orientation or their gender identity or maybe a career path that they have chosen. I think very often people might have expectations of others. People might expect everyone live by their own standards in terms of maybe even going into a box in a way by conforming to societal expectations. And I think that there are boxes and there are rainbows. And rainbows are people who are different and beautiful in their own magical way. And rainbows don't belong in boxes. And Harry Potter does not belong in the box. And I think witches and wizards don't. They were persecuted because people have not understood who they are. Harry Potter series aside, we know from worldwide history of witch hunting that People were, especially women, were persecuted for centuries for being different, for either believing in magic or using magic or using healing abilities to help others. So a lot of times when we see somebody who stands out, who doesn't quite fit in a box, they're somehow deemed to be bad or dangerous.
1: Fear of differences.
0: Fear of differences, exactly. But very often it's just fear of what we don't understand, And unfortunately, this us-versus-them attitude can then unravel in hatred and bigotry and even war. So I think that this first chapter highlights the kind of bigotry that we're likely to come across later in the series, whether it's from muggles like the Dursleys or from other witches and wizards. I think that this was a really good foreshadowing. Of the kind of discrimination that seems to be one of the central themes of the Harry Potter series.
1: You were mentioning Voldemort at the beginning, and after he kills Harry's parents, he tries to kill Harry as well. But the spell is rebounded back, and seemingly it destroys the Dark Lord at that time. However, the curse that is left behind is in the shape of this lightning scar on Harry's forehead. Dumbledore actually says it'll be with him for the rest of his life. What is the symbolism of Harry Potter's scar? I mean, specifically with regards to lifelong companionship of trauma.
0: I love that you asked this question. Having reread this chapter, you know, for like a millionth time now as an adult and now as a psychologist, I, it really touched me seeing what J.K. Rowling wrote about scars. In Harry's case, of course, as you mentioned, his scar is visible. It's one that everyone can see. It's one that everyone will come to know him by. When they see his scar, they will come to recognize him as that's the boy who lived, that's Harry Potter, and that's the place where Voldemort's curse hit him. Most of us don't have visible scars unless we were in a physical accident, you know, whether it's a car accident or fire, for example, or unless we were injured in some kind of violent act a lot of our scars are internal and invisible and a lot of times when they hurt when we hurt we feel it so tremendously and so intensely but other people do not later in a series we're going to be talking more about harry's scar and what happens to him when he is triggered or reminded of some kind of a painful event and how devastating these flashbacks and these memories can be as well as when he is near essentially his perpetrator. The very similar kind of triggers and overwhelms that happen in individuals who experienced assault and other types of physical and psychological trauma. I thought it was absolutely masterfully done the way in which J.K. Rowling depicted this representation because it's true that scars don't ever really go away and even if Dumbledore made Harry's scar invisible, the pain of losing his parents and the pain of what happened to him would always be with Harry in one way or another.
1: No matter what, there's always this physical reminder of this trauma.
0: And a deep emotional reminder.
1: Right. In this chapter, they also introduced another great, wonderful character, the beloved Hagrid.
0: Professor Dumbledore, sir. Professor McGonagall. No problems, I trust, Hagrid. No, sir. Little type fell asleep just as we were flying over Bristol. (laughs) Try not to wake him. There you go.
1: Hagrid is so awesome. His heart is just as immense as his giant body. I mean, he's so caring. And I just love how he immediately attaches himself to baby Harry. And... He cries wholeheartedly without any shame when he has to like, give him up the Dumbledore.
0: <sighs> there, there, Hagrid. It's not really goodbye after all.
1: Here is this very large, strong, burly man sobbing uncontrollably without any worry of keeping up a macho facade or anything like that. How important is it to have these positive portrayals of male grief? And what does this scene advocate on a broader scale?
0: Hagrid's one of my favorite characters and... I think he is so incredibly lovable and so incredibly strong and resilient. I love the way he's portrayed in terms of his willingness to show his emotions. As you mentioned, without any shame. Because there shouldn't be shame about something we naturally experience. Of course Hagrid is going to be mourning over the death of Lily and James. He knew them. He was close with them. He was in the order with them. And of course, he's going to be devastated over having to give up baby Harry to his muggle relatives. And a lot of tragedy, a lot of deaths have occurred, and it makes sense that people are going to be devastated. McGonagall was devastated too, as I imagine was Dumbledore. And Hagrid was the only one that had the strength to show his grief. A lot of people think that showing our emotions is a weakness because erroneously, And traditionally, that's what we've been taught. But the truth is vulnerability, having that courage, the willingness to express how we truly feel, to be open with ourselves and others is the most courageous thing of which we're capable because it is the scariest. And For Hagrid, who's so willing to be open with how he feels, who's so willing to wear his heart on the sleeve and and to love everyone, especially the kinds of creatures that other people might be scared of, and in this case, to, to love baby Harry and to attach himself to him, I think shows a lot about his character very quickly. To me, Hagrid represents the kind of positive masculinity messages that I want to see portrayed more often. And I think for kids of all genders, watching Hagrid express himself in this way, it creates a role model. It creates an openness for expressing their own emotions. I think in the past, children, especially stereotypically boys, have been taught that boys are not supposed to cry and you're not supposed to express yourself. And so now we're able to see this big, obviously very strong man express himself very openly. I think it creates a lot of very positive messages as opposed to shaming messages about it being okay and maybe even healthy to express our own emotions in this way.
1: J.K. Rowling is really ahead of her time with regards to all these subtle messages that she has underneath all these stories and monsters and things like that. What I want to know is this chapter also introduces the putter outer. Dumbledore uses it to take out the lights on the Dursley Street and be in darkness. What might be the psychological significance of this device?
0: So I you know, of course, can't speak for J.K. Rowling's intention, but I can speak to my own interpretation of this device, seeing it here and then seeing it again in the Deathly Hallows. I think that it represents the light in our heart. I think sometimes when we experience too much loss and too much grief as Dumbledore has, we might need to close. We might shut down and we might turn off the light. Turning off the light metaphorically has also represented almost a memorial for someone who has passed. You know, it's not just hiding in the darkness. It's not just hiding in the shadows. I think it's also about hiding our emotions. And Dumbledore seems to be, at least so far from this chapter, the kind of guy that's likely to hide his emotions. We see him using humor and deflecting. He's talking about candy when Minerva wants to talk about death and when she wants to talk about grief i think that dumbledore is the kind of person that carries a lot of really heavy really painful emotions that he chooses to hide believing that he needs to protect other people because he's a leader i think he might think that he has to hide away his emotions so as not to let other people see him going through something difficult. In Deathly Hollows, we see the Put Outer as being something that allows us to connect with our heart. Uh, we're going to talk more about the Put Outer when we talk about Ron's possession of it later in the series, but I think in my interpretation of it, I think it might represent the lightness or the darkness of our own emotions. I think that the chapter ends on such an interesting note it ends with baby Harry being left on the doorstep and although worldwide people are celebrating him uh, we also see that uh, he doesn't know that the next day Aunt Petunia would find him and scream uh, when she went out to pay the milkman and so I'm really excited to go into chapter two in our next episode to see what happens to baby Harry as he grows up with the Dursleys.
1: To the boy who lived and to all you magical listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis and my Twitter handle is at the Valiant Geek.
0: And I am Dr. Janina Scarlet. You can find me on Twitter under at Shadow Quill.
1: Please like and subscribe. If you think that someone else might enjoy this series, please share it on social media. We'd love to have more of you out there.
0: Thank you so much and have a magical evening.